guys welcome back to the fourth and 45 podcast i am your host the big jr jacob richardson and week two of college football is officially behind us we have got a lot to talk about and a lot to dissect so let's get right into it with first the big 12 has officially announced that they will be expanding ucf byu houston and cincinnati have all accepted invites to join the big 12 this comes after uh, a subcommittee of the eight remaining members excluding oklahoma and texas with obviously them going to the SEC, uh, approved unanimously to invite invite the uh, added four schools. Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner for the Big 12, said that BYU will join the league for the 2023-2024 season, and the other three programs will join no later than July 1st, 2024, but it could be earlier. Um you know, Bowlesby noted that all four have obligations to their existing leagues. Although BYU is a football independent co- independent team, they the rest of their programs participate in the West Coast Conference. So, like for basketball, baseball, those kind of programs, uh, they need to fulfill their commitments to the West Coast Conference in order for them to come to the Big 12. Uh, ACC bylaws require schools give a 27th month notice uh, before they leave and pay a $10 million buyout fee. Um, so the 2024 season was really kind of the best timetable to give those schools, uh, enough, uh, enough of a, of a time period to fulfill their commitments and, and give that 27 month notice and pay out that $10 million buyout fee. However, ACC commissioner Mike Oresco told ESPN on Friday that the conference will be willing to negotiate a higher exit fee to accommodate schools if they wanted to leave earlier. So with that being said. I really like this move. You know, I, I've talked about it. Uh, I've talked about it a lot in previous episodes. Um, you know, there's a lot to like about this. Uh, the Big 12 is showing signs that, you know, they want to stick around. They want to continue to be a, one of the premier conferences in college football. And, you know, whenever you're losing your two money programs in OU in Texas, um, you know, you got to f- figure out a way to fill the gaps. Um, and I think with the four teams that you're adding, I think you're able to not necessarily fill that gap all the way, but you're able to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit. Um, you know, the UCF has been one of the best group of five teams in recent history. They've been on a steady uphill rise, and I think they're in a, a better spot now with Gus Malzahn as the head man. And, you know, Cincinnati, they're they're on the rise right now. I think they're ranked number seven right now in the polls. Uh, Desmond Ritter looks like a dark horse Heisman contender. BYU had a really good season last year with Zach Wilson, and Houston has always been really, really competitive uh, in terms of national prestige and recent success. They've they've been a successful football program, so there's a lot to like about this move. Now, the best again, the best team in the group is UCF. I think the team that's going to be able to come in and compete right away, UCF. Um, you know, I, I think with the attraction that Orlando brings and with all the TV money that they're going to get now out of this and with 
the more national exposure they're going to get from being in the Big 12, I think they're not going to have much of a problem bringing in recruits that are going to help them be competitive right away. Um, now, the effect on the other sports, you know, I think it adds a little bit more in terms of basketball. You know, OU's basketball program was a lot to be desired there. Texas had a really, really good team last year, but recently, but in terms of overall success, eh, there's still more to be desired there. UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati, they've all been very constant in their basketball success. You know, they're a constant tournament team. They've shown that they've been able to bring in big-time talent into their basketball programs, and so I think it just adds a little bit more fuel to the fire that is Big 12 basketball. Now, do I think they're going to be able to unseat Baylor and unseat Kansas, you know, from the top of the standings? Not right away. But I think if you give it a little bit of time, I think they'll be able to be pretty competitive. Now, in terms of what this means for the eight remaining members, honestly, and I, this is going to sound really biased, but this is OSU's conference to lose now. If you go back and you look at the teams that have been steady in competing with OU and OSU for the Big 12 Conference title, it's been OSU. Okay, there were, In six of the last, I want to say, 12 or 13 seasons, the second the, the team that has been competing for the Big 12 conference title has been OSU. In in their final game, which is Bedlam, against OU, there were Big 12 title implications on the line in in six of those last 12 or 13 meetings. It was either when you win the Big 12 or when and you go to the Big 12 championship game. So, I think if Oklahoma State can continue that success, I think that they're going to be running the conference for a long time. And again, I know this sounds biased because I'm an Oklahoma State guy, but it, it, you just have to look at the facts. I think right now, with the way that it's going to shake out, I think the top of the table is going to look like this. I think it's going to be Oklahoma State, TCU, UCF, Kansas State, and then Iowa State. I know that's putting Iowa State really low, but if we two taught us anything, they're struggling a little bit right now. And the question is, is what is that program going to look like after Brock Purdy and Brees Hall leave? Matt Campbell has done a fantastic job. Now, the question is, is can he continue to build on the success that he's had now? Or will he just kind of fizzle out? It's still kind of too early to tell. But it's OSU's conference to lose. And, you know, like I said, a lot to like about this move. A lot to take in. And, and I think it sets the Big 12 up great for the future going forward, especially with the big college football playoff expanding to 12 teams or however many teams they're going to expand to, I think it really adds a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of a, a lot of good things going forward for the Big 12. Now let's get into some of the game reactions. Now I told you that I was going to react to Notre Dame and Florida State. That game I told you I was going to react to it. This game in last episode, and I'm going to keep up with that. But <laughs> but I'm going to also add in their uh, the games they played this week into that. So Notre Dame played Florida State. And Florida State looked really, really competitive in that game. They looked phenomenal. You know, they were firing on all cylinders. You know, they, they kind of started out a little bit slow. But once Mackenzie Milton came in and was running the offense, they kind of started to click a little bit. Now, in terms of Notre Dame, I mean, they looked the part. They, they came into the game ranked, uh, I believe, number nine. And they, they looked the part of a, of a number nine football team, of a top ten football program. You know, their defense was really good. They were getting really good penetration. They were able to stop Florida State's attack. And on the offensive side of the ball, Jack Cohn, who is a baller right now, he's 
he's got some draft stock rising right now. Um, he was able to command the offense, do what he needed to do. He, he's he, I'm not going to say he's a game manager, but he was doing the little things right, and that, that really makes a difference whenever you're playing uh, in big-time games like that. Now, Notre Dame is a defense first team. You know, they're going to beat you on defense before they beat you on offense. Um, you know, and, and it really showed. Uh, so I think there is a really, really good chance that Notre Dame could be a playoff contender again this year. I, I know there was a big problem with them being in the playoff uh, last year, and a lot of people thought it should have went to Texas A&M, but with the, with the performance that we've seen out of Notre Dame so far and the performances we've seen out of Texas A&M, I would be more inclined to take Notre Dame over Texas A&M. And especially whenever they had that game uh, against Toledo, you know, Toledo kind of had a little bit of an upset bid going there. But Notre Dame, you know, shut it down real quick. Uh, You know, Jack Cohn had 23 of 33, 239 yards passing, two touchdowns and an interception in that game. And also his finger got dislocated. He came back snapped it back into place and and then on the very next drive took it down for a touchdown. So I mean they have got a leader in Jack Cohn, you know, the the Wisconsin transfer. He he's been playing lights out lately. And I'm excited to see how he performs later on in the season. Now going to the Florida State part of the ball. Again, no Florida State, they started out really slow. They started out kind of sloppy, but then Mackenzie Milton and welcome back to college football, Mackenzie Milton. What a story that is. Had a debilitating uh, broken leg. Uh, his surgeon said he didn't think he would ever play football again. He, say, he said that nothing was impossible, but he's never seen it done before. Mackenzie Milton came in and instantly changed the course for Florida State's offense. The offense really started to click a little bit better with, with Milton leading the charge. And, you know, he looked like he was more in a groove and more in a rhythm, and ultimately it fell short, but, you know, the, the future looked bright for Florida State. Then they play Jacksonville State, an FCS team. Now, Jacksonville State is one of the more premier programs in FCS. You know, they, they had a upset bid against Auburn not, not that long ago that ultimately fell short, but today, uh, last week, yesterday wasn't the case for Jacksonville State. Um, honestly, in looking at that game, Florida State's offensive line was the biggest issue. Uh, they weren't getting they weren't getting any kind of push. Jacksonville State was really penetra- penetrating uh, on the O-line there, and it just seemed like Florida State's run attack just was, was non-existent. You know, Mackenzie Milton really had to improvise and had to really, you know, make some, make some plays. And honestly, the loss... It comes off of miscues for Florida State. They just, just, just miscues, m- mental mistakes. You know, uh, early on in the game, Mackenzie Milton throws a pass, and the wide receiver is wide open, and he just drops it on a fo- on a third down. And he would have been, it would have been pay dirt if he would have caught it. And then on the final play, Jacksonville State throws the hail mary, and just lack of tackling, and he scampers into the end zone. Jacksonville State pulls off the upset of the year. So it's just miscues. You know, Mike Norvellis came out and said that that was an inexcusable, an inexcusable performance from the Seminoles and that they have to get better. And and that's that's true. But, you know, I'm not going to knock Florida State. They, they were on, they've been on the decline for the last couple of years, and they've been trying to slowly build the program back up. 
And do, do I think a loss to Jacksonville State knocks them down a peg again? Yeah, but ultimately, it's something that they can recover from. We've seen that. You know, Michigan recovered from the Appalachian State upset back in 2007. Florida State can recover from this. So, I mean, you know, not too much to be concerned about in Florida State. However, do I think that their record is going to reflect how good they are? No. I think we're looking at maybe a 7-win, 8-win team uh, in Florida State. I think they're a little bit better than that. I think they're a team that is capable of winning 9 or 10 games. But, you know, with, with these first two losses, that kind of sets them back a little bit. Um, But, you know, they're headed in the right direction. Mike Norvell seems to be the guy for them going forward. And I, I think he's going to do a great job in Tallahassee. I think Florida State's going to get a little bit of that national prestige back. I think they're going to be able to rebound. And I think they're headed on the right track. Uh, you know, I think this season's going to be the season where they figure it out. No, but this season's going to be a good gauge for where they are and where they need to build on to. Now, moving on from that, I'm going to cover another game that I didn't cover in last week's episode today, and that is Ole Miss and Louisville. Now, Ole Miss steamrolled Louisville. And there was only one word to describe Ole Miss's offense, fast. And I mean fast, fast. I mean, they so fast, they make not fast people look fat, look slow. Um, so, you know, Ole Miss's offensive attack is incredibly fast. They play with a lot of tempo. They play with a lot of speed. Um, you know, watching that game, they couldn't even, they couldn't, ESPN couldn't even show replays because Ole Miss was moving so fast. It looked like a Big 12 run and gun offense in the SEC. Matt Coral looked really, really good. He looked really, really smooth. Uh, you know, he had a really good day. Um, and then he followed that performance up with uh, a really another good performance against Austin Peavy. He went 20 of 33, 281 yards passing, and five touchdowns. So, I mean, a lot to look forward to in Ole Miss. I think they could be an SEC dark horse. I'm not saying they, they're going to win the SEC, but I'm saying that they are a they're one of those games where guys are going to look at them and go, mm, I don't want to play them. Uh, you know, I think the only thing that could really bite them in the butt is is the division that they're in. I mean, they're in an absolute gauntlet. You know, in that in that west in that western division of the SEC. You know, you got Alabama, you got Auburn, you got Texas A&M, LSU. It's it's going to be and Arkansas with the surprising performance they had last night, and we'll get more into that. But you know, the SEC is looking like a gauntlet this year. And it, 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 more of a gauntlet than it has. I mean, just so many talented teams, uh, you know, and, and the case could be made that whoever the runner-up in the SEC is, if they're undefeated, that's going to be one of the teams in the college football playoff. So, I mean, Ole Miss, really, really good football team. Louisville, eh, not, still, still much to be desired there in the eyes of the beholder. You know, we'll see how their season shakes up. I think they're going to be bottom of the ACC this year. Um, you know, they've been on the decline ever since, you know, Lamar Jackson left. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Louisville, but I don't think there's much to really expect out of them. And then we go to, then we actually jump into the Week 2 ball games. Uh, the first one I want to look at is Kansas and Coastal Carolina, because honestly, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one, because it's the same old Kansas. It's just same old Kansas. You know, not much to expect out of this uh, Kansas got the dog crap kicked out of them. Coastal Carolina has been very, very good. They had a really good season last year, and they look to they look like they're building on it this year. Um, you know, they look like really 
good. They look like a team that will challenge Appalachian State for the Sun Belt crown this year. But the main question that you you take from this is how does Kansas fix these problems? Because they have just been so consistently bad for so long. Like I don't think we've ever seen a team just be this bad for this long and never figure it out. They just cannot seem to fix whatever it is that's going on over there in Lawrence. They look to have it figured out with less miles. And then that became a barn that became a barn fire in and of itself with all the allegations that Les Miles had to go through and he was ultimately let go. But just how does Kansas fix this football disaster and how do they bring some kind of respectability to their program? And honestly, in my opinion, folks, you don't fix it. You just accept it for what it is. Kansas is a downright old, blind, deaf, toothless, stanky dog. But you just got to embrace it and say, you know what? You may be a blind, deaf, old, mangy, toothless, stanky dog, but you're my blind, deaf, toothless, mangy, stanky dog. You've got basketball. You got one of the most prolific basketball programs in the country, and that's your trade-off. You have a really, really good basketball program, and you have an absolute dog shit football program. So, Kansas, my advice, just accept it. I mean, just come on. It's senseless to be going through three coaches every two and a half years. Like, just just embrace Kansas football for what it is. You know, nobody really expects much out of you anyway. So just accept it and move on, which is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to move on to Tulsa and Oklahoma State. And, oh, my gosh, this – I don't know how Oklahoma State survived this. I don't know how we ended up winning this game, but we did not deserve to win it. For the last couple of seasons now – the play calling in terms of Oklahoma State has been atrocious. Atrocious. And Mike Yersich, I apologize to you. I gave you not enough credit. Okay? For the last, ever since Mike Yersich has left, the offense for Oklahoma State has just gone down and gone down and gone down. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Mike Gundy's calling plays. I don't know if it's... Casey Dunn's just not a very good offensive coordinator, but something's going on. This isn't the Oklahoma State offensive old that we all know that can score in the blink of an eye. You know, and, and the O-line has also taken a dip. The O-line is a dumpster fire. I just haven't been able to run the ball on not very good competition. Couldn't run the ball against Missouri State. Couldn't run the ball against Tulsa. And I just don't know what's going on with this offensive coaching staff, but they just can't get this offensive game plan figured out. I don't know what it is, but something needs to change. Because whenever you get into the heat of the Big 12 schedule, you go to OU, you go to Texas, you play TCU, Baylor, Kansas State, they're going to have Iowa State, they're going to have a field day with this offensive line, and they're going to figure out this offensive game plan very, very quickly, and you're going to be just praying that the defense can get a stop. Now, do I think the defense is capable of that? Absolutely, I do think that. But you can't, in the Big 12, you can't rely on your defense to win you ball games. You can rely on your defense to get you stops to where you can get up enough to where when the other team scores, it's not that big of an issue because that's just how elite offensives are in the Big 12. It's not necessarily that the Big 12 doesn't play defense. I'm so sick and tired of hearing that narrative. 
the Big 12 does play defense, but Big 12 offenses are just so elite that you, you can't stop the bleeding. You can't pitch shutouts unless you're playing Kansas. You just can't because the offenses are so elite. I mean, look at the pro talent that comes out of the Big 12 year in and year out. We're talking Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, uh, Brandon Pettigrew, Justin Blackman, uh, KD Cannon, you know, just these are elite level offensive talents that you see in the Big 12. Now, you can't go into a defensive coaching room and say, we've got to pitch a shutout. No, you say we get two or three stops here, the offense is going to get us up, and then we just maintain. Just maintain that lead. That's what you have to expect out of a Big 12 defense. Even with one as good as Oklahoma State's defense. You can't sit here and expect them to win you every single ball game in the Big 12, especially when you play against programs like OU and Texas. You just can't expect that. So the offensive attack needs to get figured out, or else it's going to be a long, long season for the Cowboys. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the big thing that a lot of people wanted to point at was that Spencer Sanders wasn't back. You know, then that's why they struggled against Missouri State. You know, you had Shane Illingworth come in. And he looked a little bit shaky still. He's still got to get some games underneath him, but I think Shane will be fine. However, a lot of people were attributing the poor offensive attack to the lack of Shane's run ability. Spencer is more of a dual-threat guy. He can burn you with his legs, and he did that against Tulsa. He he burned him a couple of times with his legs. But that was that was kind of the big thing that people wanted to point at. Well, Spencer came back, and you could instantly tell he had some ring rust. You know, he... Looked a little bit shaky. He was missing throws that he should have been completing. But, however, I do think Spencer will be fine. I think he'll get into a little bit more of a groove. And that's what I'm hoping is what's going on with this offensive attack is that they're just trying to keep it simple and not ask too much of returning quarterback or a new starter. I'm praying that's what it is, and I'm hoping that next week against Boise they just let it rip, in the words of Les Miles. Just let her rip. You know, just let it go. Let this team play. They'll make smart men out of you. Just uh, unleash the dogs and let them go. But got to get that offensive line and that offensive play calling figured out. Now, moving on to that, we move on to Oregon and Ohio State. This game was everything it was advertised. It was it was a heavyweight fight. This, is, this was Ali versus Frazier. This was Tyson versus Holyfield. These were two programs that came in with college football. This was a college football playoff implication game. And it lived up to the hype. Now, the big question for Oregon was the fact that they didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau. With an, he was out with an ankle injury. But honestly, no Kayvon, no worries for the Oregon Ducks. They took down the Buckeyes 35-28. C.J. Verdell had a game. He was a beast. He had a great rushing day. He finished. Uh, he finished his day off with. What in the world? There we go. He finished his day off with twenty carries for one hundred sixty-one yards and two touchdowns, as well as and he also led Oregon in receiving as well. He had three receptions, thirty-four yards, and another touchdown. So three touchdowns all together. That was a really really good day for C.J. Verdell. And also, Anthony Brown, the quarterback for Oregon, he had a great day, too. He had 17 of 35, 236 yards, and two touchdowns. So, I think that Oregon took what they saw from Minnesota in terms of the rushing attack they had against Ohio State, and they, they applied it 
and to get C.J. Verdell loose. He was just going off. Now, I talked about how C.J. Stroud struggled a little bit against Minnesota, and that kind of that that came into this game. He had 35 of 54, 484 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Now, the 35 of 54, the 484 yards, and the three touchdowns is not what I'm concerned about at all. That's really great. It's that one interception. You got you to gotta protect the ball, especially against a team as good as Oregon. You have to protect the ball. You can't give them opportunities to have the ball back, and especially whenever the opposing opposition's offense is clicking like Oregon's did, you can't give them opportunities to get back on the field. And I think that's what really killed Ohio State. You, you, have, to, you, you have to be able to protect the ball and put points up on the board. And, and looking at the score, that looked to be, that is what the difference was. But, you know, again, C.J. Stroud is a young quarterback. He's young, he's new, that was his second game. So, just give him a little bit of time, let him get in the system, let him get his confidence underneath him, and he'll be fine. Obviously, I mean, the stats proved it. Save for the one interception, he had a really, really good day. But, you know, I think Oregon is the best, now Oregon is the best chance for the Pac-12 to get in, to get back into the college football playoff. I think if you're looking at it right now, I think the conference that is going to be excluded from the college football playoff is the Big 12. I just don't see that conference being very com- being competitive enough to get a team into the college football playoff. You know, it's going to be the same narrative as it always has been. It's going to have to be OU or Texas, and they're going to have to go undefeated. And with what happened last Saturday, Texas is out of the conversation. So now OU is the Big 12's last hope to get into the college football playoff because if Oregon stays undefeated... You're not going to take OU over Oregon. And also, again, we talk about, you know, if there are two teams in the SEC with that gauntlet that it is again, if they're both undefeated going into the SEC championship game, you're obviously going to take the runner-up. So, I think the way it's shaping out is Oregon is the Pac-12's biggest hope, OU is the Big 12's biggest hope, and they both need to stay undefeated. Now, if Oregon plays like they did again against Ohio State for the rest of their schedule, they're going to go undefeated. Okay, I don't, again, I don't see a team in the Pac-12 standing in their way. Like, Oregon's legit. And we'll see how they shape out. And I can tell you right now, they're ready to get back Kayvon Thibodeau, the projected number one overall pick this in this year's draft. I think once they get him back, they're going to be even more deadly. But... You know, if you're Ohio State, how do you go on from this? You just say, look, just got to take care of the football. Fix the minor stuff. Like I said against Minnesota, just fix the minor stuff, and you'll be fine. Okay. And then we go on to Iowa and Iowa State. Now, this was the first top 10 matchup for the Cyhawk Trophy. And it was a little underwhelming, in my opinion. You know, Iowa just came into this game, and they were firing on all cylinders. They had a great defensive plan to get to Brock Purdy and to stop Brees Hall, and that's exactly what they did. Brock Purdy and Brees Hall struggled. They did. They they struggled, you know. Um, and it ultimately bit them in the butt. And, you know, I've talked about this in earlier episodes, is that Iowa State is going to go how as far as Brock Purdy and Brees Hall take them. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You know, Iowa took them down 27-17. to 17. And Brock Purdy really, really struggled. He was 13 of 27, 138 yards, and three interceptions. That's that's just that's bad, especially a quarterback of Brock Purdy's caliber. You you can't have that kind of a day against a top 10 program and expect to win football games. Uh, Brees Hall, 
he really underperformed as well. He had 16 carries, only 69 yards and a touchdown, and I believe he also fumbled. So, you know, this this just wasn't Iowa State's game to win. You know, their two best players underperformed. And when your two best players underperform, you're not going to have a good day at the office. But Iowa, Iowa had a really, really good game plan. You know, uh, their defense was just smothering. And I think, you know, they could be the team to challenge Ohio State in the Big Ten. You know, we'll, we'll see how it shapes out. But I, Iowa State, you got to fix the turnover problem. Got to fix those turnovers because in the Big 12, defenses are built to force turnovers. And if that's what you're going to have against a Big 10 defense, Big 12 defenses are going to feast like it's the Last Supper. So you got to fix those problems. Got to fix those problems. Iowa, you're good. You're, you're pretty good. But you need to get that offensive attack up a little bit more. You need to crank up the volume on that a little bit, and you'll be fine. And then we go on to Florida versus UCF. Florida, you know, looked the part. They looked really dominant. They looked really good. You know, they took down USF 42-20. to And it sets up a great matchup against Georgia next week. Against Georgia or not next week, uh, they got Alabama next week, but it sets up a really good matchup for that Alabama game next week. Also sets up that a really, really good narrative for, for that Georgia game. That Georgia game is going to be what I feel like is going to determine the SEC East and whoever's going to meet Alabama in the West in the SEC championship game. So, you know, uh, Florida had a really, really good day at the office. And so, you know, you got Bama on the horizon. Let's see. Let's see what you're made of. This is that's going to be your first real test, and it's a heck of a test, you know. So really, really excited to see what Florida is going to bring to the table against Alabama. There. Then we look at Texas A&M versus Colorado. This was a really good game. This this kind of surprised me. You know, uh, Colorado. You know, they took advantage of an early exit from Haynes King. Uh, you know, he had looked to be an ankle lower extremity area area injury. And Colorado took advantage of that. You know, Zach uh, Caltonza, or whatever the hell his name is, came in for relief of Hayes King and Calzada. There we go, Zach Calzada. Um, you know, he came in, he he took over Texas A&M, Texas A&M's offense, and he, he, uh, he did what he needed to do. He scored some points and allowed Texas A&M to get out with a win. But let's talk about, let's talk about that, that game day atmosphere. I mean, there were points where I didn't even know where the game was being held. It was held at Mile High Stadium in Denver, but it felt like Kyle Field. Like, you could hear the Texas A&M student section just going absolutely bonkers. That was a really, really cool to experience, you know. Um, so, Texas A&M, really, really good atmosphere, really, really good uh, really, really good finish. You know, good teams find a way to win, and that's exactly what they did. You know, Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M coaching staff had a really, really good adjustment, and that was able to bring Texas A&M the win. And then we move on to Texas and Arkansas. Horns down, Texas is not back. I told you this from the start. I told you this, and I, I like a prophet out of the Bible, I was correct. I was correct. I foretold this. Texas was going to struggle in the SEC, and it proved because they took on a mid-tier contender in Arkansas, and they got absolutely waxed. In the words of my 70-year-old plus grandpa, I have never seen Texas get beat this bad since the Alamo. 
Arkansas came out firing on all cylinders, and they shoved it down Texas's throat. And I told you, I told you, Steve Sarkeesian was not going to be there by the time they moved to the SEC. And if that's the performance they're going to put up against mid-level SEC competition, you can audio Sarkeesian right now. Just give him the pink slip, pay out his contract, get somebody else in there. That was a piss-poor performance from Texas. I don't know what was going on, but Texas struggled. Hudson Card could not get that offense going. And it showed because they took Card out and they put Casey Thompson in. And in my opinion, Casey Thompson won the job. Even though it was a loss and a blowout loss at that, Casey Thompson won the job. Okay, the offense seemed to move a little bit better and more efficiently and Casey Thompson looked like more of a game changer. So, I think if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you go back to the drawing board and you say, how comfortable are we with Hudson Card and how much more comfortable will we be with Casey Thompson? And I think if you're looking at it from just that game and those performances, you go with Casey Thompson. Okay? Hudson Card couldn't do anything with that offense. Casey Thompson took him on two scoring drives. Now, granted, it was too far too late and Arkansas probably had the third string in, but... I think you you really go back and you really evaluate your quarterback situation down there in Austin. Now, in terms of Arkansas, they are really, really good. Are they great? No. They had a really, really great game plan for Texas. They they had a great rushing attack. Their quarterback looked smooth. But are they good enough to beat the likes of Alabama? No. They are not. Are they good enough to beat the likes of Auburn? Yes, most likely. They they could most likely I could see Arkansas beating Auburn this year. But again, could I see them beating Alabama? No. Can I see them beating Texas AM? No. Can I see them beating Georgia? No. But is it hard to fit to say that they could beat LSU or Missouri? No, it's not. I mean they they looked like a really, really good team. They looked like a team that could finish fourth or maybe third in the West Division. You know, so we'll see what happens with Arkansas. But I was pleasantly surprised with Arkansas. They came in, and they came in with the opinion of, we are not going to let Texas come into our house and beat us. We don't care that you're ranked 15th in the country. We're gonna shut. We're gonna take this football. We're gonna shove it down your throats. We're gonna bend you over. We're gonna spank you, and we're gonna make you like it. And it was a spanking to say the least. And again, I foretold this. If that's how Texas is gonna perform against mid-level SEC talent, imagine what's gonna happen whenever they play Georgia. Imagine what's gonna happen whenever they play Florida, Texas A&M, Alabama, Auburn, and Ole Miss with that offensive attack. It's not going to be pretty for the Longhorns. So we'll see what goes on with that move. I think OU's in a better position to be competitive. But competing for SEC championships, you can you can just throw that shit right out the window. OU and Texas are not going to be competing for an SEC championship anytime soon. Texas is going to be lucky if they get bowl eligible in the SEC at this point. I think OU's in a better position to make bowl games in the SEC, but Texas, hell no. <laughs> hell no. Hell no. To the no, 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 hell no. No, Texas, you are in trouble, and you need to get that figured out because if not, you are going to be the bottom dwellers with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and Tennessee in the SEC. 
good luck. It's not going to work out. And Steve Sarkeesian, boy, you better be shaking in your boots because that just puts you right back in the hot seat. Because, again, if if anything has has been proven, it is that Texas is not patient with coaches, and they're not going to be they're going to be even more impatient with them going to the SEC. They don't want to go over there and get embarrassed like you just did in Fayetteville. And speaking of Fayetteville, the population of Fayetteville, Arkansas, is going to skyrocket here in about nine months because they were live. I mean, that that place was lit. I mean, it was more lit than a Travis Scott concert. Like, they, Arkansas, this, this was probably, like, the best win for Arkansas in a long time. And, you know, it's it's always great when you win, but it's even better whenever you beat Texas. And with that, we're going to go into our games to watch for this upcoming week. We're going to get you guys ready for that. We've got pretty much an SEC-filled week. You know, not much else really going on in terms of excitement for games. We've got Auburn and Penn State, SEC versus Big Ten. I'm going to take Auburn in this one. I think I think Auburn's got a little bit more of an edge to them than Penn State does. I think Penn State's offense with Mike Yersich ugh, is just going to be a little bit too stagnant for Auburn's attack. And I think Auburn ultimately takes that one. Then we got Georgia and South Carolina. This one's going to be a, a bloodbath. Georgia's just going to steamroll South Carolina. JT Daniels is going to keep putting up massive points. But it's going to be a good test for the Bulldogs, and it's going to show whether or not they're for real. But ultimately, I think Georgia wins out. Then we've got another bloodbath in the form of Nebraska and Oklahoma. This is a good chance for Oklahoma to regain some of that respect, put on a good show, put on a good spectacle. You know, after that disappointing performance they had against Tulane. However, though, I think if they come out and they play that game like they did against Tulane, I think Nebraska is going to have some chances to take advantage. But ultimately, I think Nebraska is so much of a dumpster fire, it's not going to matter. Give me the Sooners in that one. Then we've got Tulane and Ole Miss. I'm going to take Tulane in this one. I think think if Tulane can handle the tempo and can slow down Matt Coral in that Ole Miss offense and they can come out with the same energy that they had against Oklahoma, I think I think that we're looking at an, uh, an upset. I think Tulane is going to be one of the scrappiest, most competitive group of five teams around. I think they're going to be in a good position to compete for the American Conference Championship. So, I mean, is, is it too hard-pressed to believe that Tulane could beat Ole Miss? Not necessarily. And then for the main event, uh, it's going to be Alabama and Florida. That's going to be JR's game to watch. If, if you're not going to watch any other game in college football next week, I would encourage you to watch that one. Alabama and Florida. This is going to answer the question of, is Florida legit? They had a really, really good performance against UCF. Can they carry that in the next week? And can they shock the college football world and take down the Mike Tyson of the sport, which is Alabama? We'll see. They've... they've been really good here in seasons past. Now the question becomes, can they do it? Can they pull off one of the biggest upsets in college football history? I don't think so. I think Bama going to be Bama. I think Bama going to Bama. I think Bryce Young is going to put up some fantastic numbers. I think that offensive attack that they got from Alabama is going to be too much. And I think ultimately it overwhelms Florida. I think it's going to be low scoring at first, because it's going to be the filling out process. But I think once Bryce Young and Alabama get into their groove, it's just going to be same old, same old Bama. You know, domination. <laughs> but that is all the time I've got for today. Thank you guys so much for watching. I will have another ep- or listening. I will have another episode up for you guys on Sunday. 
Be sure to give me a follow on Spotify uh, and wherever else you're listening. And thank you guys for listening. This has been the 4th and 45 Podcast with your host, the Big JR, Jacob Richardson. And have a blessed day.